0: All right, have a seat. It's so good to see you this morning. If you are here for the very first time, my name is David Miles. I'm a part of the pastoral staff here at Maple Valley Church. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're watching there as well. In preparation for our message this morning, I had this kind of odd realization. So go with me on this. There are essentially two types of people. Maybe two and a half types of people. I've kind of modified this after first service because I had other people come up to me and say, well, what about this? Here are the two basic types of people. The first type of person is the person that when the gas light comes on in your car, you're like, it's all good. I've got another 20 miles, right? Some of you are that type of person, right? And not even that, but there's 20 miles left, so I'm going to go drive 20 miles. You're like, like, 90 miles I'm good for another three miles, and you drive three miles, like, I think I still can get to Starbucks and get my latte, and you push it as far as you can go, right? There's that type of person. The other type of person is the person who, when that check, or that not check engine light, but that gas light comes on, you start to panic. (laughs) Like, you start to feel heart palpitations, you start to breathe a little bit harder. Uh, you start to get a little bit nervous. You start wondering, well, let's see, where is the next gas station? How am I going to get there in time? And so it becomes this code red, mission critical, detour inducing sort of state of mind. The gaslight comes on by Wilderness Village. You start putting your flashers on as you're driving to Four Corns, like, I got to get to Fred Meyer to get gas. Flashers are on. You're hugging the shoulder. You start getting up by, you know, like wilderness estates, and you start waving people around you. You're like, Come on, it's okay. You finally get in there. You still, I mean, your light's been on for like two minutes. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I made it. Here's the other type of person, the half type of person. Some of you apparently fill up when you have like half a tank left. <laughs> Are you that scared? I didn't know that was a type of person, but apparently it is. So maybe there are three types of people, right? There are those of you that, I'm going to push this to the limits, there are those of you that start getting super freaked out when you see that light come on, and then there are those of you that are like, I'm not going to chance it. Like I only have to go from my work, home, I got half a tank, I got to make sure that I make it there, there might be a traffic jam or like an earthquake or something, so you, you stop, you pull over and you fill up somewhere. We all prepare for things and we all prepare differently, right? Some of us are more concerned about things than others, and depending on the type of circumstance, depending on the context, you may take your preparations more seriously. Some of you, when you pack to go on a trip, you're light packers, just the essentials. Some of you are heavy packers. Some of you have your own suitcase for your shoes, right? It's a thing. It's a thing. Some of you are preppers, maybe. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Because there might only be one of you, and that would be embarrassing. I don't know, or maybe all of your hands would go up. There are preppers, you've got like a year's supply of bottled water and freeze-dried food and all this stuff in like a bunker in your backyard. And then there are those of you that have like half a case of Kirkland's signature water bottles and like two cans of fruit cocktail in the back of your pantry. You're like, I'm good, I've got this. We prepare in different ways, but we all have to prepare. And none of us want to be unprepared. None of us want to find ourselves in a situation where we are left unprepared, right? I mean, we may take our our planning, our preparations differently, but we all would probably agree that planning is important. And so as we continue our series, The Kingdom of God is Like, we find this parable of ten women, five of which who take planning very seriously, and five of which that don't take planning quite as seriously. And so I invite you to stand this morning. We are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 15. So if you'd stand for me as we read from the Lord's Word. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, "'Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him.' Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out.' "'No,' they replied, "'there may not be enough for both of us and you. "'Instead, go to those who sell oil "'and buy some for yourselves.' But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut." Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The word of the Lord. So our parable this morning is found within... Kind of an interesting context. If we look back at Matthew chapter 25, we see that Jesus has gone to the Mount of Olives. He's there with his disciples. The Mount of Olives is kind of from the northeast of Jerusalem where Jesus had been. He goes up there, and he sits down with the disciples, and the disciples start to ask him some questions. They're probably the types of questions that you yourself have asked on occasion, questions about when will he return again? What sorts of signs were the, will there be of his return Oftentimes, we, we might ponder those sorts of things. I'm going to give you a special word today. This is your, your word of the day, eschatology. Okay, that's your, your Do people still play words with friends? I don't know. Eschatology, there's your words with friends word. It's basically this aspect of theology that looks at final things, end times, those, those sorts of things. And the disciples are asking these eschatological questions, these questions related to final things and end times. Because they want to know. They want to know what's going on. They want to know when Jesus is going to come back. And so it's within this context where we see this passage situated. Verse 1 says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. In multiple places in chapter 24, including verse 37, it says that we see that this is in reference to the coming of the Son of Man. It's the parousia, the arrival of Christ. And this parable is in reference to the second coming. That's what this is all in relation to. This parable is a parable of a wedding and the, the the functions and the events leading up to a wedding. And so we see these ten bridesmaids. If you've been a part of a wedding before, you know that it's a really special thing to be a bridesmaid or a groomsman. It's not something that, you know, is just handed off to anybody. Right? You pick people that are special to you, people that are important to you. And that was the case even in, in this time as well. And each of these bridesmaids had the responsibility to take a lamp. And we're not talking about like an oil lamp even. We're talking more like torches. Which is kind of an interesting image, right? A bridesmaid with a torch. Nevertheless, torches, sticks with rags or cloth soaked in oil that they would light. And, and these torches had about a 15 minute or so lifespan, if you will. They would burn for about 15 minutes. So it wasn't a really great length of time. But this is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to take these torches and go out to meet the bride, the bridegroom. This is great honor you know if you've ever been a bridesmaid or a groomsman that there are certain responsibilities that you have to come through on, right? If you're a groomsman, you can't lose the rings. It doesn't go over well. Whoever's in charge of the marriage certificate, you gotta make sure that gets there, right? If you're a groomsman or a bridesmaid, that has to happen. If you're, you're in charge of the flowers, you gotta make sure those show up on time. There's certain responsibilities that are important, and this was one of those responsibilities. Once the bridegroom had arrived, they would go and meet the bride, and they go to the bridegroom's house, and they have this big celebration, this wonderful, wonderful occasion. Jesus goes on to tell us in verses 2 through 4 this. He says, five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps.'" In verse 2, we start to see this dichotomy of two different types of people here. We have the wise and the foolish, the wise and the unwise. And this is a common theme in Scripture. We see this in multiple places. In particular, in the book of Proverbs, we see lots of, lots of accounts or personifications, really, of wisdom and folly, wisdom and foolishness. In particular, we see passages like this in chapter 12, verse, thir- or excuse me, verse 15, the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Or 14, 16, the wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. I don't know if you've ever been called a fool before, but it's not a lot of fun. No one really likes to be called a fool, and yet here Jesus is identifying five of these women, not as just being unprepared, not just as being uh, maybe absent-minded, but as being foolish. These women are foolish. But on the other hand, you have these five women that are referred to as being wise. That feels a lot better, doesn't it? If someone refers to you as being wise, ah, it feels really good. And so we have this stark contrast between those that are wise and those that are foolish. Jesus doesn't really mince his words. The foolish women are foolish because they didn't bring what they needed in order to be prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. They didn't have what they needed. Now, I don't know if when they got up in the morning and they packed their stuff, they thought, well, the bridegroom will be arriving in about 15 minutes, so we're good to go. Don't need to pack any extra supplies. I don't know if that's what the foolish thought. But the reality is... They were underprepared. They are unprepared. Have you ever been in one of the situations where you have been woefully unprepared? A couple years ago, the US uh, Open golf tournament was at Chambers Bay, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go and see some of the rounds. In particular, the final day, I got a pass from a friend of mine, and I was so excited. I don't actually golf, but I like watching golf, in particular in person. So, got this pass, I go, and when I get there, The grandstands by the 18th green are really starting to fill up. I grab a burger, I grab this little small bottle of Gatorade, and I go and I find a seat where I can see the pin and I can see the cup. I'm like, this is about as good a spot as I'm going to find. I'm sitting there, I eat my burger, it's great, and pretty soon, I forget that I'm in University Place, and I think that I am in the middle of the Sahara Desert. It is so hot. I'm crammed in amongst these other people. There's no shade, and I realize that all I have is this little bottle of Gatorade. And so I start to go into survival mode, and I think, I am going to ration this bottle of Gatorade. And so I decide every 30 minutes, I'm going to take two sips. <laughs> so that's what I did for a long time. I don't know how long I was sitting there, but I was not going to lose my seat. I was going to watch the conclusion of this golf tournament. Now, that's not a super serious situation, but I was clearly unprepared. And I imagine that you have found yourselves in places before where you have been unprepared. Maybe something silly like that, but maybe it was something very, very serious. Might be something like when you get in your car, you you think you have enough gas. As long as that red line on your Google Maps clears up before you get to it, you'll be fine right? But if you have to wait in that red line, in that congestion, you might be in trouble. Or again, maybe you're driving somewhere, and you're using your phone, and and you hop in the car, and you head out, and you realize you forgot your charger, and there's only like 10% left on your battery life, and so you're closing out every application that you can. And sometimes we find ourselves in these situations where we are unprepared. And these five foolish women find themselves in this situation. In verse 5, it says, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. We don't know why the bridegroom was delayed. We don't know why he didn't arrive when he was supposed to or when they thought he would, but he was late. For any, I'm gonna look over here, any young men, I'm gonna give you a piece of advice. This is a freebie. This is the second most important thing that you're gonna get today, okay? So tuck this away, put it right here. If you find yourself getting married someday, don't be late to your wedding. It doesn't go over well. It's a free one. So you can only imagine how frustrated the bride would be if she knew what was going on with these bridesmaids, but the groom, was late as well. And so there are these 10 women waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. Five of them are well prepared. They've stocked up on their oil at Costco and five of them don't have enough. And so there's this situation in front of them, right? In verses six and seven, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps the arrival time has finally, finally come. And you can imagine how excited they were, right? Like, this thing's happening. My friend's getting married. They get up. They start, you know, getting ready, start primping and doing whatever they did back then to get ready, putting their, their makeup on and, you know, sorting out the, the bridesmaid dress that they're only going to wear that one time. And they're, they're getting ready, right? And so you have five of them doing this over here. Maybe you have five over here that are getting ready, and they start to get their things, they start trimming their torches, their, their lamps. They're cutting off the burnt edges of, of the cloth. And I can imagine that maybe this group of five bridesmaids over here collectively, they kind of start to slow down and they realize what's happened. We don't have any oil. We are incredibly unprepared for this significant event that is about to take place. These five bridesmaids over here, they're getting ready and they're having a good time and everything's good. I can imagine that this group of bridesmaids start to look over here, how much do they have? Start to wonder if they can get a little bit of of their oil to use because they don't have enough to relight their torches. In verse 8, it says, the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they reply. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. This seems a little bit harsh, right? Like, couldn't they spare a little bit of oil? But what these five women realize, the wise women here, they realize that if they share their oil, none of them will have enough to endure to the end of this processional, this ceremony. And so they say no. They send these other five women off to get oil from somewhere else. In doing so, the bridegroom comes, the five, pre- five prepared Women go with the bridegroom, meet up with the bride, and go to the groom's, bridegroom's home, and they have this celebration, this ceremony, this feast, and something happens to those five unprepared bridesmaids, those five unprepared women. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut can you imagine how disappointed you would probably be? How sad you would be to miss out on this great occasion? Maybe how nervous you would be about what your friend was thinking, why you weren't there? Why were you unprepared? But this is what happens. Five of these women were left outside. Verse 11. Later, the others also came. These are the unprepared, the foolish Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. The lack of preparation by five of the women resulted in exclusion from a great celebration to which they were initially invited. They would have felt terrible. Imagine how you would have felt. You probably would have felt terrible as well. They're told that they will not be entering. I kind of wonder if they had heard verse 13 here beforehand, if they would have come more prepared. Verse 13 says, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. If those five women had thought about it, if they had really realized that the bridegroom may not arrive on time, would they have prepared better? Would they have brought more oil with them, more reserves so that they would have been prepared when the bridegroom arrived? Can you imagine how the disciples felt as they heard this parable? And the reality of what Jesus was teaching began to sink in. Perhaps this analogy of the Messiah as bridegroom was familiar to them, and so they picked up on what Jesus was saying right away. Maybe they understood that right away. But if you read through Scripture, you also realize that the disciples were not always the brightest bulbs. And they were sometimes a little slow picking up on this. So there's a part of me that could see them taking a little while to really understand what he's saying. Maybe even taking until the end of the parable here where it says, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. The disciples had started this conversation with Jesus inquiring about his return and the signs that would point to it. So perhaps in this moment their eyes widen and it begins to sink in. Here Jesus is telling the disciples a parable about a great wedding feast and the need to be prepared for it. He shares about these two groups of women who at first glance seem to be very much the same. They both know the bride. They're wearing the same dress. They've been given the same task. They're carrying flowers in their left hand, torches in their right. They look on the surface to essentially be the same. And yet, you and I and the disciples know that there is a fundamental difference between these two groups of women. One group of women, those referred to to as wise, have come prepared. They have what they need to endure to the end. Not superficial preparation, but they are prepared for the long haul. The other group of women, those referred to as foolish, have not come prepared they haven't invested the time or energy or thought into preparing. I think it's also important to note that those who are labeled as wise, those who were prepared, are women whose lights shone bright. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, while giving the Sermon on the Mount, says that believers are to be the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the letter to the church of Philippi, it says that, that believers are to shine as lights in the world. Jesus tells this parable about these ten bridesmaids, these ten women in order to communicate this there are some of us who have a deep and true faith and there are others who do not he makes it clear that there is a difference a fundamental difference between those who truly believe and are transformed transformed by god and those who simply pay lip service or just go through the motions At first glance, they might appear to be very, very similar, maybe even the same, but there's a difference in their ability to endure to the end. I love the late Eugene Peterson's phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, as a way to look at and think about being disciples of Christ and the preparation required of us to shine brightly, not just today, but perpetually. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is not about looking the part, it's about transformation. While looking the part might fool the people around you for a time, the bridegroom sees right through that. It's the bridegroom, not your friends or your family or your pastors, who determine whether or not you'll be entering that great feast. To be a disciple of Christ is one who is prepared for his return and is pursuing God daily. Pursuit where we are reminded of God's righteousness. By this, we mean that God is in right relationship with us. Peterson says, when the Bible says that God is righteous, it is not saying that he is always right, although, of course, it assumes that, but that he is always in right relationship to us. You see, it's God who establishes a relationship with us and it is God that prepares us and gives us the ability to persevere to the end. It's God who through his graces in our lives in many different ways that transform our hearts and subsequently our conduct and our character in a life-altering way. And it's by God's work in our lives that we can keep watch without knowing the exact day or time. We simply need to allow him to redirect our attention to him and his ways and his purposes. And this happens through what we call spiritual disciplines, through prayer and study, through worship and service. God works through these things to help us remain prepared and watchful. In Matthew 24, Jesus reminds us that true believers will continually prepare and be watchful. And as it says in 24:13, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. So I have to ask this question. Where do you find yourself today? As you sit in your chair, are you prepared? Do you have that true faith? Are you allowing God to work in and through you to transform who you are as a person? to give you the stamina in order to shine brightly, not just today, but well into the future? Or as you sit here today, do you sit here because you feel like this is just what I should be doing? Do you sit here today wearing a mask, with a facade, because going to church is what my parents told me I should do? or because if I go to church, it's going to look good to my coworkers or my family or my friends. Truthfully, we have to struggle with this question. Why do we follow Christ? Or why do we say that we follow Christ when perhaps we don't really follow Him? Truthfully, if you're struggling and going through the motions, if if your light is not shining bright, if you are not allowing God to work in and through you, if you're not prepared for the long haul, I want to ask that you tell us, and here's why. As a church, as a pastoral staff, as, as elders in our church, as leaders in our church, and as a collective church body, we want to be a group of people that can come alongside and walk with you. We want to be a place where you can come with your questions of faith and wrestle with them. We want to be a place where you can come and struggle through this and have people that can support and encourage you as you ask the tough questions. I imagine that if the five foolish women had asked the five wise women to borrow oil the day prior, they probably would have shared some. The reality, however is that there will come a time when we will all stand our, on our own before the Lord and the authenticity of our faith will be examined. i said this before and I'll say it again today. We want to be a church that loves and welcomes and supports and encourages. But we want to be a church that challenges each and every one of us to grow in relationship with Christ. We don't want this to be a place where you just come and hear some great music from Rob and the band, where you come and listen to a talk. We want this to be a place where you are challenged and where you can feel like if you are being challenged, you can seek someone else out in this body, whether leadership or another person sitting next to you to help walk with you through that journey. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... We don't want you to lose heart. We don't want you to grow weary. And as a church, our commitment to you is to walk alongside you if that's where you're at. If your light is getting dim, let someone know. If you have questions, ask them. If you've never made a commitment for Christ, maybe today is the day. This is a place to do that. And I encourage you, before it is too late, wrestle with these things and allow other people to wrestle with these things with you. If today you find yourself struggling with your faith for any reason, or today you want to make a commitment to Christ, let me encourage you to meet with one of our prayer partners after service up front. They can pray with you, they can talk with you. I want to encourage you to stop by our next environment in the foyer for the same same reasons, to pray with them or for them to pray with you to ask questions about your next steps of faith. We want to walk with you on this journey. We want to be a safe place where that can happen, a place where you're going to be challenged, but a place where you're going to feel like these are people that love me, love me enough to have tough conversations, love me enough to listen to me. And we hope, we hope that you will press into that and take full advantage of what being a part of this type of body means. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the fact that you love us. We thank you for the fact that your grace works in and through us to transform our hearts and our minds, to bring about fruit that otherwise would not be possible. Lord, I thank you for the fact that Your grace is so good. Lord, I pray that we would have faith that is lived out in practical ways. Lord, faith that is not dead, as it says in James. Faith that has works that accompany it. Works that are beautiful and reflect who you are. Lord, I pray that you would give us the endurance to run the race, Mm -hmm. that our lights would shine bright, that our faith would be true, that it would run deep, that you would work in and through our lives. We love you. We thank you so much for today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.